Please uh, stand and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, We're going to be in verses 27 through 31. Uh, If you are using the Pew Bible, that is on page 713, uh, towards the latter quarter of that page. Again, it's Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 31, as Bruce concludes his series on um, on, on God and in specifically strength of the weary today is what he's going to be talking about. Again, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much. That you did not only create the world, but that you are also involved in the world. And that you are involved with your children. And that you will give us strength uh, for the task at hand. And God, just help us to um, not desire that strength and not desire that, that unction that you give uh, for selfish reasons. But, but to, um, to be first and foremost kingdom citizens and, and, and children of you. That, that desire to further your kingdom. And God, we just pray that you will bring honor and glory to your name, and that you would use us to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hide and seek is a child's game that I'm sure most of you are familiar with, if not all of you have played before. Hide and seek is usually a game that's characterized by a little fun and lots of laughs, laughter. That is, unless the stakes are raised and it becomes a sinister episode between you and God. And then all of a sudden, it's no longer a game. It becomes a nightmare. God has hidden himself from me, and I can't find him. Or God has hidden himself from me, and now he doesn't want to be found. And when that happens... When you're weary in life, when you're weary in the wilderness, as we have seen in this chapter so far, and even when you're now teetering on the edge of despair, it is easy to lose hope. It is easy then to give up on God. It's easy to think God doesn't see me in my difficulty. It's easy to begin thinking God doesn't even care about me in my despair. God's people, as we have seen, hey, they responded the same way after being exiled in the land of Babylon for many, many years. God's people were now weary, and they are now teetering on the edge of despair. Has God forgotten me? Have you ever asked that question before? I think we experience those days more frequently than we perhaps like to admit. God doesn't love me anymore. He doesn't care about me anymore. Can God's people really think this? Yes, they can, and they do. In fact, probably more often than we realize. 
the Jewish exiles here, that is God's chosen people, living in Babylon, felt abandoned by God. They felt forgotten by God when they cry out in verse 27, my way. In other words, my way and my life and what I'm going through is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. And that is normally the first thing we think. My way is hidden from the Lord. In other words, God has flown the coop. After all, if he can't see me or I can't feel him or don't hear from him, then God must not be around. The second thing we begin to think is, well, my right is disregarded by my God. In other words, God doesn't care about me. He's ignoring me. He's not answering my prayers. And it feels to me unjust. It feels unfair. And it feels unwarranted. And because we think to ourselves, God doesn't see me now in my difficulty. And God doesn't care about me in my despair. We lose hope. And when you lose hope, you begin to give up on God. Isaiah here, the prophet who writes this, he articulates these poisonous thoughts that we sometimes have about God, but not to coddle us. He's not articulating this for us to necessarily coddle us. Rather, Isaiah wants to challenge us here. In fact, he is confronting us, but he's doing so in a loving way. When he asks here in verse 27, why do you say this? Why do you say this, O Jacob, and speak like this, O Israel? And these names, Jacob and Israel, are important because they signify that God is speaking to his own people. These are God's chosen people. He has separated them out. They belong to God. And now these same people, yes, they are in exile in Babylon due to their own rebellion and sin against God. But nonetheless, God has not abandoned them. He has not forsaken them. He has not discarded them. He has not said, you're no longer mine. No, Jacob, Israel, you are still my people. So why are you responding like this? Why do you think these thoughts about me like this? It's true. I think we would all agree no one lives with an unwavering faith. But Isaiah reasons with us here. As we said, he's challenging the irrationality of our unbelief. And he does so to help us to get back on track in our journey with God. You see, Isaiah understands our doubts and our fears, especially when we are weary in the wilderness and we are even teetering on the edge of despair from life in the wilderness. So what does God do? How does he respond? Well, this is amazing. God goes the second mile with us. He goes the second mile with us. You see, God has already shown his people. And through the prophet Isaiah, he is now showing us even today just how big he is with his incomparable majesty. As we saw last Sunday, he is Lord of creation and he is Lord over creation. He is sovereign over it all and he is, he is working whether we see it or not. In fact, Isaiah, in the verse right before this section here, tells us in Verse 26, lift up your eyes and see it. Go outside, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these pointing to the stars. 
Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one of those stars is missing. In other words, Isaiah's rational thinking here, his reasoning with us is this right here. Listen, if not one of those stars is missing, if not even the faintest star escapes God's attention, then we as his people, we should be confident that God's eye is on us as well. He knows what we're going through. He sees the difficulty and despair that we are in. And this is why Isaiah challenges, exhorts us to behold our God. Look up to God instead of giving up on God when you're specially weary and teetering on the edge of despair. In fact, this is now Isaiah is to begin to focus and redirect our attention on the dependable strength of God. Because as God's people, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen, as God's people, we have reason for hope when we look up and behold our God. He gives strength to the weary. And so to the people who look up, to the people who behold their God, to them God says, listen, I am still here. I care about you. I give strength to the weak and weary. I, You have reason for hope. And so Isaiah takes now this amazing chapter we have looked at for the last two Sundays, and he now presses it home on the hearts of God's people. This generation of Jews who were exiled in Babylon, they wondered. They began to think out loud even perhaps what happened to all the power and promises of God. You see, to them, to what they could see with their limited eyes, it seemed like God was nowhere to be found. It seemed like he was not working or doing anything. And so Isaiah reminds them, just as he reminds us, that we can count on God. We can count on the strength of God, especially when we are weary. And there, in these verses here, Isaiah tells us here, here's three things. Let me encourage you with three things if you want to receive the strength of God. Number one is when you're weary, turn to God. Turn to the Lord when you're weary. But what do we typically do? We are so prone to turn to anyone and anything except God. In fact, we turn to what we saw last Sunday. We referenced that Tim Keller often calls that we have these functional saviors in our lives. And normally, that's who we are first prone to turn to, is our own functional saviors to help us in our weariness. But those functional saviors simply leave us in more despair. And so Isaiah lovingly confronts us in our despair when he says now in verse 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? In other words, Isaiah is telling us, listen, go back to your theology. Go back to what you already know about God. Listen, so much of our despair is simply because we have forgotten who our God is. We have forgotten how big he is. And we have ignored the word where we, he reveals himself to us. 
And so Isaiah tells us, go back and behold your God. Go back and renew your mind with God's word. Go back and renew your heart with the majesty of God. Why? Because everything that matters in life hangs on who God is. So how big is your God? Listen, what does Isaiah say about our God? He says in the rest of verse 28, look at it with me. He says, the Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And so in one verse here, Isaiah gives us four reasons why we should always turn to God, especially when we are weary. Notice these real quickly here. The first reason is because God is totally reliable. When so much of this world is unreliable, God is reliable. You see, you and I, we are locked inside a narrow little slot called right now. The present moment in which we live is all we experience. For us, now is always the issue. And the urgency of now, here's what it does. It squeezes us with its pressures. And oftentimes, when we're weary in the midst of all that, that's when we make costly mistakes about our own exaggerated sense of emergency. But our God is not confined to time. Our God is the everlasting God. Our God has no beginning and no end. Our God stands above and beyond time. God is always out ahead of us, which means we should never panic if things aren't falling together according to our deadlines. Why? Because God is always working his purposes out in his own way, at his own pace, for his glory and our good. And he does so without our hurried, nervous desperation. He is totally reliable, Isaiah says. So turn to him. Don't turn to your functional saviors. Remember what we saw last Sunday? These are false saviors. They have to be propped up because there's no power, no life within them. Why would we turn to that? Turn to the only one who is sovereign. Turn to the creator God, the one who is reliable. Second reason is because God is all-powerful. Listen, our God is the creator of the ends of the earth, and his power extends to every square inch of this planet, which means any, every, anywhere life makes, may take us, whether it's in Babylonian exile or a lonely hotel room or an intensive care unit, listen, God will already be there for us. And he will be there with his power to handle whatever you're facing at that moment. So turn to God. He is all-powerful. A third reason is God is continually available. Listen, let me just say something we already all know. We tire daily, don't we? But do you realize our God never grows tired or weary? Our God is forever fresh. He's always alert and always available. You see, weary, that's a word that describes our us. Weary is what happens when we don't get enough sleep or rest. But that 
never happens to God because his strength has no limits. That means God isn't tired of you. He isn't weary of saving you. He isn't worn out with even your sin. He isn't suffering from battle fatigue and protecting you from Satan's attacks. Our God is never, never, never too tired to help us. He's never too preoccupied with somebody else's problems to hear our cry. Our God is continually available when we need him most. So why would we not turn to him when we need him most? Number four reason is God is absolutely trustworthy. Listen, for our God is wise, Isaiah says, and his understanding is unsearchable. In other words, we can't figure God out. His ways are beyond our ways. But we can always trust him nonetheless. Listen, life is often bewildering to us. But it isn't bewildering to God. He knows what he's doing. And so we don't need to try to, quote, figure God out. We just need to live by faith in the promises that he's already given us. You see, we see life, if I could describe it this way, we see life through a keyhole. With all our problems filling up our field of vision to the point that is all we see so often. Until we can see nothing else. But God sees the big picture. He's got the full panoramic view of your life, including your past and your present and even your future. And because God sees the whole spectrum of your life, he says, listen, I know what I'm doing. I see what you're going through and I can handle it. I'm not tired. I'm not freaked out by it all. I'm not wondering what I'm going to do in your life. I'm not chewing Tums because of what you got yourself into. I know the whole story of your life. And I know how it's going to turn out because I'm in charge, remember? So our God, listen, Isaiah is reminding us here, our God is in a category all by himself. And knowing this changes everything, doesn't it? So turn to him when you're weary and teetering on the edge of despair. Our God is not only glorious and majestic in himself, do you realize he also shares his strength with us in our weakness? So how much more now should we just not turn to him? But Isaiah tells us in the second point here, when you're weary, rely on him. Rely on God. Look what he says now in verses 29 and 30. He says, speaking of God, he gives power to the faint And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. You see, God wants to get involved in our lives by making his power perfect in our weakness. Now, the words faint and weary are the key in these verses here. In fact, they occur seven times in this last section of Isaiah chapter 40. In other words, God is speaking to a particular group of people here. He is speaking to the weak, tired, discouraged ones. And so you may ask, well, just who are the faint 
here in verse 29. Who's that referring to? Where they are the people, specifically, that are quoted in verse 27. Saying, they're the, the, so the faint are the ones who are saying, my God doesn't see me in my difficulty. My God doesn't care me, care about me in my despair. So how are these people now faint and weak and weary? Well, they're weak in faith, for one. They're fatigued. It's spiritual in nature. Yes, it's also physical fatigue, but mostly their fatigue is spiritual. They're weak in faith, and they're also weak in courage. They feel like quitting. They want to give up on God. And it's weaklings like them, and by the way, like all of us here, who God now wants to strengthen so that we can push through in difficult circumstances, but to do so with confidence in our God. Why rely on God? Notice this in your notes on the screen. Because God will give power to the faint and the weak and the weary, and He will do it because we all need it. You see, when you're weary, and you're teetering on the edge of despair, and you don't have strength to push through another day, Listen, God takes his strength and he gives it away to the weary and weak. And God gives his strength to the very people who thought they had enough strength to get by. And so they relied on that strength to get by, but then they ran out of gas. And now they are weary and perhaps even teetering on the edge of despair. And it's not just, if only I were a little younger, I could handle this. Isaiah says what? Even who? Youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Now, in Isaiah's day, that term, that, those words, youths and young men, it implies the strongest of the strong in Isaiah's day. In other words, it's a reference to the hand-picked soldiers and warriors of God's people. In our day, it would be like the Navy SEALs or the Olympic athletes. In other words, it's the best the world has to offer. It's the biggest and fastest and strongest. And Isaiah says, even they grow tired. Even the strongest of the strong eventually lose heart and grow weary. Isaiah's point is so blunt here in verse 30. Basically, he's telling us human strength at its best in its prime will inevitably fail. Why? Because oftentimes we are no match for the very demands of life. As Tom Landry, former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, used to say, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And that is so true. In fact, I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says we all have what he calls these fainting spells when we are spiritually discouraged and worn out. Why? Because it's in those moments when the journey seems so long and the enemy seems so strong that we just don't have enough strength to carry on, but we're not doomed to our own potential. There is power here that is beyond ourselves. And we can experience it if, if, if we will simply turn to God and rely on Him. God says, listen, I will give power to the faint and the weak and the weary. And no, it is not strength in ourselves that is encouraged here, but strength in whom? Strength in our God. 
You see, in the sovereign, all-powerful, all-wise, all-sustaining, never-tiring God, that's who we rely on. And so I ask you this morning, are you weary? Are you losing faith in God's promises because of the journey you're on? Because perhaps you're even living in the wilderness. Are you tired and worn out from the battles? Are you overwhelmed by the opposition and difficulties of life? Then what you need is simply to do what Isaiah exhorts us here. Behold your God. Turn to Him and rely on Him when you're weary. But Isaiah also says there's one last thing we must do. When you're weary, wait on God. Wait on Him. Look at God's promise here in verse 31. It says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Woo! What a promise. What a phenomenal, amazing promise we have here of God. Do you realize God has the power to renew our strength? God is able to revive us in the midst of our difficulties and renewed by God's strength. Listen, Isaiah says we now can do the impossible. Do you realize Isaiah is not merely saying God enables those who draw strength from his promise. Isaiah is actually saying God enables those who draw strength from his promise to do the impossible. You see what he said? He says the weak do what? They soar like eagles. He says the weak, they run without tiring. He says these weak people, listen, they, they walk without quitting. Is that not the impossible? Their confidence in God will not let them lie down. It will not let them give up on God. Instead, they look up and behold their God. And what does God do for them? God renews their strength to carry on another day. But don't miss what Isaiah also says here. God's strength, he says, is freely reserved for those who do what? Wait. Notice. It is not reserved for those who rush ahead, for those who want to try to manipulate their way through or scramble and scratch till they've got an ulcer, a migraine, high blood pressure, and two strokes. No, God's promise of strength here is reserved for those who do what? Wait for the Lord. So what does it mean to wait for the Lord? After all, that's the key. Well, there are many kinds of waiting, and according to Derek Thomas, he writes in his book, Strength for the Weary, there is the, I am waiting for my wife, sitting in the car, the engine is running, and she is nowhere in sight kind of waiting. It's impatient, it's petulant, and it is rude. He says there is also the dog lying by the front door, eyes drooping, body language indicating little or no hope that the master is returning home anytime soon kind of waiting. It's pitiful and it's sad. But he also says there is the lover listening to the words of a beloved partner, eyes wide open, gesturing surprise, amusement, love, and thankfulness, waiting for the next word to come forth. It's anticipatory 
in congratulatory kind of waiting. So what kind of waiting is Isaiah talking about here? Well, the Hebrew word for wait, it's interesting. It means to twist or stretch in order to make something strong. And so the best analogy we have of that is a rope. Oftentimes a rope gains its strength, how? By several strands being twisted around. And it strengthens. Together they strengthen it. In other words, we gain strength when we wait for the Lord and allow Him to wrap His power around our measly little strand of weakness. The word wait does not suggest killing time or sitting around doing nothing. Waiting for the Lord involves looking away from ourselves from our functional saviors, from our troubles, and looking to whom? Looking to the Lord in faith with expectation. In other words, waiting for the Lord implies placing our complete confidence in God, allowing Him to decide what is the best course for our lives. It's declaring our confidence in His wisdom on our behalf. Now, I'll be honest with you. This kind of waiting is perhaps the hardest part of the Christian life. Who here agrees? Yes. This is hard. And yet, waiting for the Lord, do you realize this? It is the highest expression of our faith in God. It's a faith that says, I know God is going to resolve this situation. I just don't know how and I don't know when, but I know he's going to do it. I'm not giving up. I'm waiting for him. And he may not resolve it in this lifetime, but he will make all things right at some point in time. So waiting here is not passive. It is very much active. Because you believe God is at work in the midst of your difficulty, even though you can't see it at the moment. As Ray Ortland Jr. writes, waiting is what faith does before God's answer shows up. God gives us great and precious promises, and then he calls us to wait. But here's God's amazing promise. If you're willing to give up your frantic efforts and wait for God, here's what he will do for you. He will renew, and that word renew is interesting. It literally means exchange. In other words, God will renew or exchange your worn out strength for new strength, for his strength. So why wait for God? Let me give you here briefly three benefits for those who wait for God. Here's the first benefit. You will gain better perspective on your life if you wait for God. Better perspective on your life. Isaiah says you will mount up with wings like eagles. You see, the beauty of soaring as high as an eagle is not just the freedom that you feel. It's the perspective that you see from. I'm told that on a clear day, an eagle can actually spot a fish in a lake several miles away. And in kind of the same way, we will see with unusual clarity, too, on life when you learn to wait for the Lord. As you soar like an eagle, you begin to develop the ability to see life differently. 
than when you're just walking. You begin to see life from God's perspective. Now you can see more of your life. You can see through the painful circumstances. You can see the path that God is laying out before you. You can even see the dangers that were once hidden. Why? Because you have gained a better perspective on your life. You have now gained God's perspective. A second benefit is you will gain increased stamina to press on. Isaiah says you will what? Run and not be weary. This is the God-given ability to withstand enormous pressure. How? Because you're no longer frantically devising exit strategies to get out of your circumstances. You're no longer wringing your hands in fear and racking your brain for an answer and pacing the floor in panic. Instead, you're letting God wrap his arms around you, wrap his enormous power around your measly little strand of rope, and you wait for him. And as you wait, you gain increased stamina to press on for another day. There's a third benefit. You will gain stronger resistance to future obstacles. All of a sudden, you find that you can, in the words of Isaiah, walk and not faint. Walking without fainting is the ability to get up every day, day after day, and do what needs to be done as a Christ follower, regardless of the obstacles that are standing in your way. Question. Have you noticed here that walking is placed last? Isaiah terms it like this. Flying like an eagle, in other words. Running, but last is what? Walking. Is that by coincidence? Why why is walking last? I actually think because walking is simply the daily need of every child of God. It's what we do on a daily basis. And in that sense, walking in the fear of the Lord, in the wisdom of God, in following His ways, walking is the highest attainment of faith in God. You see, in other words, walking... In many ways, it is more remarkable than soaring or running precisely because walking is the real stuff of life. It is what we do each and every day. Because let's be honest, not every day is a stroll through the park, is it? In fact, walking is God's design for normal Christian living. Walking is nothing more than choosing by God's grace to take tiny steps in the right direction day after day. And as we wait for the Lord, he enables us, yes, to even soar when there is a crisis, to run when the challenges are many, but most of all, he enables us to simply walk faithfully in the daily demands of life. The daily demands of being a husband and wife. The daily demands of being a parent, a mother and father. The daily demands of raising these kids and dealing with them. The daily demands of getting up, getting dressed, and going to your job and being a witness, a Christ follower with those people. The daily demands of interacting with the one and others here in the community of his house, here at LifeBridge even. Simply the daily demands of following Jesus Christ. And it's even those daily demands that we grow weary in. And yet what happens here? If we will wait on him, wait for him, he will give us strength.
Now, let me give you three takeaways. Three takeaways from all of this. Our greatest need is to look up and see the sufficiency of God. Here's the deal. As humans, we are prone to look where? We're prone to look at self, and we're prone to look at our problems. That's where we put our eyes naturally. But our greatest need as Christ followers is to look up, behold our God, and see how big he is. See his sufficiency. Because when we're looking at self and looking at problems, we are not looking at God. When you look at your problems, they will always seem too big for you to handle. Because in the final analysis, you want, what, you want to know what? They are. They are too big for you to handle all by yourself. Who among us is equal to the daunting issues of this life? We are not equal to the job loss. We are not equal to marriage and turmoil. We are not equal to the death of a spouse. We are not even equal to the massive financial setback that sometimes we encounter. We are not equal to parents growing old or children growing away from God. So who then is sufficient for those things? And yet they come and we find ways to cope. But we, we, listen, we ourselves, we, me, I'm not equal to those things. Only God is sufficient for those things. As one pastor said, it is not the magnitude of my problems that matter. It is the magnitude of my God that makes a difference. And so our greatest need here as Christ followers is to walk out of here, but yet even now in our response time, is to, in our hearts, to look up and simply behold the majesty of our God. And confess that You are God, and I am not. Our greatest danger is simply resisting the work of God in our lives. I suggest, though, that it can be a good thing to hit rock bottom in your life if, if, if it causes you to look up and see the Lord. You see, sometimes, sometimes, and perhaps you have experienced this already, maybe you've seen this truth play out in someone else's life, But sometimes we must be stripped of the things in which we trust so that our trust might be God alone. Think about it. Who are you truly, who are the truly strong people of the world? See, it's easy to think that it's the celebrities and athletes of the world. Probably a lot of you will watch the Grammys tonight. And it's easy to look at those people and think, oh, they're the strong ones in the world because they got the the prestige, they got all the followers on Instagram, they got the money, blah, 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 blah. No, it's those. The strong are those who have discovered their own weakness and yet have turned to the unlimited resources of God. Those are the strong. Our greatest hope is exchanging our weakness for his strength. Isaiah describes three stages of life here. It's interesting. He says there are times when life is like an eagle. We all love living like an eagle because when you're living like an eagle, you set your wings to the wind and fly. Life is good and God is great. And you're like, woohoo, flying like an eagle. It's awesome. And there are some times when we experience those times in life. But there are other times when Let's admit it, life isn't so great. 
Oh, you're making it, but you're certainly not tiptoeing through the tulips. At best, you are just striving to get by. And then there are other times when all you can do is to remind yourself to breathe when you wake up in the morning. You're weary, and you're teetering on the edge of despair, and you're just trying to hold on and live another day. But do you realize that? That's when. That's when you're invited to wait for the Lord and exchange your weakness for His strength. That is our greatest hope that we have. This is the promise of God. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And I love what Isaiah reminds the people of God, reminds us even later on in the book of Isaiah. You fast forward to Isaiah 64 here. Look what it says in your notes. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who do what? Who wait for him. You, God, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. So God moves, listen to this, God moves in direct response and acts on my behalf when we do what? When I wait for him. When I put my trust in God and not in myself or any functional savior, that's when God gives strength for the weary. Are you weary this morning? Then turn to God. Are you weak? Rely on God. Are you teetering on the edge of despair? Wait for the Lord. With your heads bowed. And as we come to our response time, I'm going to invite Jeremy and the praise team to come on up. Instrumentalists to come. They're going to play through a chorus. And this is going to be our opportunity to respond to the Word of God here. To respond to our mighty God. And perhaps you're here and you simply need to confess, God, I've made you too small. I have put you in a box, but you are much bigger than that, I see. Forgive me. Perhaps you just need to come and and give thanks And praise God for being bigger than your problems. Praise Him that He gives comfort in the wilderness and strength for the weary. Listen, this is a time to come while they play and and while you sit there either in your pew to do so or come to this altar to behold your God in prayer, to turn to Him and ask for His help and to rely on Him and wait for Him. This is your opportunity to respond as the Holy Spirit moves in your heart as Jeremy and the praise team sing.